Welcome back to the Reading Blues podcast, the place to find out more about the school and to connect with staff, pupils and parents at a deeper level. Each week we'll be interviewing people within the school community, asking them questions and spending time understanding more about them and more about the school. In this episode, we speak to Victoria Fangen-Hall, Foundation Director at the school. We're going to find out what her job as Foundation Director actually entails. We'll delve into the history of Reading Bluecoat, discussing the founder of the school, Richard Aldworth, and we'll find out more about the Aldworth Partnership. But we also find out what Victoria enjoys about Australia, so stick around to see what that might be. So let's explore the world of Reading Bluecoat through the eyes of Victoria Fangen Hall. Victoria, thank you for joining us on the Reading Blues podcast. I'm looking forward to talking to you today all about what school life is like through your eyes as Foundation Director. But first of all, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Simon. Um, lovely to be here. Looking forward to chatting to you. It's a horrible, horrible day here at Bluecoat and mm-hmm. in in, uh, in Reading. I don't know what the weather's like with you, but we've got lashing rain and uh, and wild winds. So not quite the May uh, the May weather we'd expect. No, equally though, when you get weather like that, it's quite nice to appreciate being inside, isn't it? Being undercover and you know staying dry. Yes, yes, you're you're exactly right. I'm certainly in the right place today. Mm. I wouldn't want to be out on the. Uh, yeah, on the on the cricket pitch or anything like that. <laughs> okay, Victoria, just tell us a little bit about your own education, if you could, where you went to school and what your own experience of school life was like. So I grew up in London in a place called St Margaret's, which is between Twickenham and Richmond, so southwest London, and went to school in Putney. Went to a day school there. Um, absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. I did move for sixth form um, and went to school in Hammersmith. So very much my world was was that, that sort of part of London. Uh, as I say, absolutely loved my time. It was a girls' school for, for both of my, um, for all of my senior school years. So learnt lots of things, enjoyed it, and uh, yeah. And then after that, what did you do? What was, did you go to university or what was your first job? I did indeed. I went to university. I stayed in London. When I was at school, I got... Sport was very important to me when I was at school. And I got into rowing and uh, was rowing down in, down at Kingston uh, mm-hmm. down on the Thames down that down that way and rowing was still something that was important to me when I went to university so I actually decided to stay in London for for university so that I could continue to row and uh, and because a lot of the competitions and a lot of the the activities that I was involved in were based were based in in London in the Thames Valley so I stayed in London for, for university and then actually got my first job in in London as well so um, I didn't move very far for the first few years of my, of my life. Okay, well, thank you for that. Thank you for the little bit of background there. Now, Foundation Director, just for the sake of people listening to this podcast right now, what actually is a Foundation Director? It's an interesting question Mm -hmm. um, and one that I do have to explain more often than not. So a Foundation Director, and and it can be known as many things in in different schools, it can be Development Director, that's also a a common common job title or, or Director of Advancement. What my role really stems down to is trying to engage the the old blues, so the alumni of of the school, back into 
what's going on with the school currently. So it's making sure that when students are here, they're obviously engaged in their education, they're engaged in everything that's going on. But what we like to think is that as soon as people leave, they don't just switch off from being part of the Blue Coat community. And that's very much my role is to make sure that people do still feel a link back to the school. They do feel that they can come back to the school and um, and hopefully we can engage them in, in what life is like at, at the school at present. So it's very much keeping the the community engaged and also part of my role is is to fundraise for for projects that uh, that are going on at school so there's sort of two strands it's community engagement and, and also income generation and do you find that your alumni is quite happy to keep in touch with the school regarding things that are happening you know updates and developments it's an interesting one because actually given the as as many people know the school was founded in um in 1660 that's when the first people walked through the door but i didn't start here at bluecoat until november 2017 and that was the first time we we actually had a development office a foundation office wow yeah exactly so you think of all those years that have gone on and all of those people that have have been through the door and have had a bluecoat experience mm. actually there there was no focal point there was no point within the school structure a department within the school that actually had the remit to to look after them mm. there was of course the reading old blues association which was set up in the early 1900s and is still going and is still very much is still very much part of the school so there there has always been a very strong and vibrant old blues alumni community mm-hmm. but actually from a sort of strategic point of view with regards to the school it, we've only been in existence since 2017 so to go to your point about do people want to hear about us well yes they do now that they know that we're we're doing that in mm. the past it was it was very ad hoc and sort of if you knew people you could that were still at the school or you were still in the area you would find out that way but now i hope what we've put in place over the past few years is a much more strategic and systematic way of keeping people engaged through publications, through social media, through uh, events. And uh, and hopefully we haven't um, annoyed people by getting in contact with them. Certainly the the feedback we've received from people is that they're they're really grateful for what we're what we're trying to do. Mm. So mm. hopefully, hopefully um, that will just grow and grow as the years go on, and people start to to expect it rather than for it to be to be a surprise. No, I'm I'm sure that'll be exactly the case. Now you said that the foundation office has been there since November 2017, and you've also said that you joined in November 2017. Uh, is there a link there between you joining and the creation of this? Yes, exactly. I I was brought in to set up the foundation office and. Uh, that was the remit of the uh, that the headmaster before our current one has given us, but uh, had had given had given me. However, I do understand that the school had been talking about setting up a foundation office for for many years before that. So it's it's despite it being a relatively young department within the school, mm-hmm. um, it has been it's been on the horizon for for many years. But for one reason or another, it wasn't until November twenty seventeen that. The office was established. Hmm. And tell us a little bit about the history of the school. And I'm thinking in particular about the founder, Richard Aldworth. Richard Aldworth is, is a fascinating man. He founded the school through his will in 1646. And then the school actually became in, came into existence in, in 1660. Unfortunately, because of the Great Fire of London in 1666, mm-hmm. we don't actually have many records about him himself. Oh, wow. Yeah, a lot of the records that... Uh, well, his family records and and his personal records were burnt in in the fire. So, oh. 
over the years, people have pieced together bits and bits and pieces about him. So we do have a, a vague understanding of him, but uh, we don't have any personal bits and pieces and personal writings of his. But he was, he'd grown up in the area, he'd grown up in Reading, he he was born into a, a wealthy family, so he had an education himself, mm -hmm. which was only afforded to those of privilege in the 1600s. He was then sent off to London to, to learn his trade. Uh, he became a skinner and actually worked his way up to become master of the Skinner's Company, which is um, a livery company based in the in the centre of, of London. So mm. he was a man with ambition, he was a man with contacts, and he was certainly a man who um, made the most of the time that he was born in and uh, and did very well for himself. He did live in, in London, um, he didn't return to Reading, but what I think is, is a very interesting link is he was a governor of Christ's Hospital, Okay. which at the time that he was he was living was was based in in um in the city of london and being a governor at christ hospital again we're piecing this together but i think this is this is quite a a logical link gave him the the thought and um the idea to set up a school in reading for people in in reading to to help those of from the area that he that he grew up in mm. the area that he benefited from so um he set up Aldworth Hospital through his, through his will. He left a, uh, a donation in his will to set up Aldworth Hospital, very much in the guise and in the line of, of Christ Hospital, which is why um, on high days and holidays, and certainly some of our older alumni will, will know that the blue coat that we wear, mm -hmm. that, that our students wear, currently it's a prefix, it used to be the borders in um, back in the day, mm -hmm. is the same as the students wear at Christ Hospital because that was his nod to where the idea of, of his school came from and oh, he wanted see. the school the school to be in in the mold of of uh, of Christ hospital so yeah. that's that's where the idea came from do you think that if he was able to walk through the school gates today he'd be impressed with what he sees i think he'd i think he'd have to be i think i think the world is a, is a an amazingly different place now than it would have been in the, in the 1600s so i think he'd be absolutely bowled over about with with just life life in general and what um where where we are and what reading is is as a town now as in comparison to how it was when he was around mm. the school is is on a very different site to where it originated but actually not that far the school's been on three different sites the first one was in the center of reading mm -hmm. the second one was on bath road which is which is known as the A4, so that's a little bit further out. And now we're we're here in Sonning in, in Home Park. So he would never have actually stepped foot in the school because when he died in 1648 and the first, first students came through the door in 1660. Mm. But I think knowing his, his links to education and his knowledge of, of Christ Hospital, I think he would, he would think that education in general is very very different to how it was not not simply for the sheer numbers of students that uh, that we have on site okay and then sticking with the Oldworth name tell us a little bit about the Oldworth partnership what that's all about and how that helps people as well so the Oldworth partnership is a student-led um, initiative and it is basically the the torchbearer within the school for, for for the service and outreach that that students do service and out outreach has been something across the school for for, for many, many years. And as, as I speak to some of our older old blues, they remember vividly the, the service that they were expected to do both within the community and, and within within the, the school grounds. So it it's bringing that back and, and putting that front and centre 
within the student body. Obviously, it, it's always been a key purpose and, and a key focus of of the education that someone gets here at Bluecoat. You don't just come here to do your exams it's, it's, and, and walk out with GCSEs, A-levels and, and that side of things. You leave with a community-minded spirit. Mm. Um, and the wonderful thing about the Aldworth Partnership is it is it is now that focal point for it. And it's led by, there's a, there's a prefect and there, well, there are five prefects mm-hmm. each year that are, that are, that are the organisers of it and, and are, are the, the ambassadors. And the idea is that every student that is, that is within the school has an opportunity to be part of, of, of it in, in some way. So mm-hmm. as I say, it's, it's very community minded. Uh, so it's, it's outreach work within primary schools. It's encouraging schools to come here and use the site. It obviously helps us with our, um, with our, our charitable aims and, and ethoses, which is something that that's hugely important for the school. So, mm. and they fundraise and, and it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for the students to see, to have a project and to fundraise for it and see it from from start to finish. And then these five prefects that you talk about, how do you find the programme like that helps them as people, as students? I think being a being a prefect is it's it's a position of of I want to say authority, but I don't mean authority, but it it's it's an important position within school and mm. and obviously to become a prefect, certainly with regards to the Aldworth Partnership prefects, which is the area that I can talk about, they have nominated themselves for for that for that area. Mm. Um, so they've made a conscious decision that this is something that resonates with them, feel, that they feel that they can they they want to be part of, and I think that that's that's hugely telling if students put themselves up for that, mm. and it it gives them an opportunity to be part of a different area of school. And to and to make a difference, and I think that that that's something that there's huge research that shows that if you if you give back, if you if you are part of service, you not only continue to do that as you go on in if you if you do it whilst you're at school, not only do you continue to do that in in later life, but actually the feeling that it gives you you're you're not you're not focusing on yourself, you're helping others, and I think that that's something that that we all benefit from as a community and uh, and is hugely valuable and and is a great lesson for people to learn when they're when they're here at school. Now, Victoria, you're also a member of the senior leadership team or the SLT, but you're one of the people on there who's in a non-teaching capacity as well. What do you think it brings to the team given that you're not in a teaching capacity? That that's a really interesting point. Think, thinking about that, it's it's very interesting because when I speak to people when I meet people and socially and and in, in in other contexts rather than than at school, and I say to them that I work in a school, they automatically think that I'm a I'm a teacher. And mm. first question is what what do you teach? What what mm. do you do? What do the students like? Gosh, you must love the holidays. Um, <laughs> but but of, but then I have to sort of step back and say to them, no, well, no, I I'm not a teacher. I work on the administrative side. Um, and and then that opens up a whole new conversation because. That the main focus of, of schools is to educate the students. So therefore, we think of of pupils and teachers. But actually, we're a much much bigger machine than that. We're 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 a, we're a huge organisation that has has got not only keep the grounds running, but the the food on the table for everybody uh, and all all of that sort of stuff. So I think I can't quite remember the numbers, but I have a funny feeling that actually support staff, which is what those that are non teaching at, at school are called, mm-hmm. actually numbers outweigh the teaching staff oh, so gosh, as really? a, wow. yeah mm. so as a staff body actually 
the teachers are are in a, a very small uh, they're in a small minority to go to your point about being a member of SLT and, and not being on the teaching staff I, I've been in education for a long time and actually the the role that I'm currently in is something that that I fell into a while ago but have always made a conscious decision to stay in education because I think what school what education offers is is hugely important and, and I believe I believe in it mm. um, and I like being part of the vibrant educational institution so I, I think what I bring to the SLT is hopefully a slightly broader a broader vision I I'm not a teacher so I'm not focusing on what my department's doing I'm not focusing on teaching but what I do bring is is a knowledge of of the educational institution and and I hope I'm the voice piece for our wider community mm. and so when we're when we're discussing points when we're discussing situations and, and issues and you know that there've been there's been plenty on the table that we've been discussing recently mm-hmm. um not least with uh, with the pandemic that we're all of course, that we've been yeah. go- going through and 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 sort of coming towards the tail end or fingers crossed i just hope i what i do bring is is maybe a different point of view on some things mm. i think i think what's hugely important to me and, and what i really enjoy about our slt is we've all got the same aim we're, we've all we've all got the, the the best interests of the school at heart but actually our viewpoints on those can be slightly different and I think a robust discussion about things is always a good thing so I hope that Mm. I bring as I say a slightly different point of view a a broader community view to things Mm -hmm. in the way that all of my other SLT colleagues bring I come out of meetings and I've always learned something about what we're doing as a school because I don't always necessarily know all the different angles of, of things. I'm sure that nobody else does either. And I guess it's one of the great things about, you know, good team, isn't it? Is people coming to the team from different points of view, from different perspectives, from different positions and offering different contributions. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And I think we're very lucky as an SLT that we do all give each other time to talk. Everybody listens, everybody digests what everybody says. We might not, dis- we might not agree with everything, mm-hmm. but we always come out with the right answer for and the, the right result for how we think that the school needs to move forward or for the situation that we've been discussing. Mm. Now Victoria I've got a couple of questions uh, for you nothing at all to do with school. I understand that in in between your university time and your time at Reading Bluecoat you spent a bit of time in Australia is that right? That's exactly right yes I did. Tell us a little bit about that what you were doing out there. Yeah, it, it, it was. It's very interesting to have spent a few years in Australia, and it's it's an interesting journey that we that we got there. My husband's a rowing coach, and um, he'd always admired the uh, the Australian rowing team. He'd always admired how they how they row how, and their their focus on sport as a, as a nation and and the sort of outdoor door life that 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 they lead. We had lived up in in Cambridge and that's in fact where I first got into into educational fundraising um, and we'd moved around a fair old bit after that and then he got an opportunity to to coach over in Australia mm-hmm. and we had we'd had our oldest he hadn't started school and we just thought you know what why not why not let's give it a chance let's give it a go it's it was a great adventure it was a wonderful opportunity that that we took with both hands and um, got on the plane and, and went across to to Australia, we were there for five years, mm-hmm. um, and what was quite exciting for me professionally was actually it wasn't me stepping back and and allowing my husband to to progress his career, although it was it was hugely successful for him. Um, it also gave me an opportunity to to step on with my career because 
up until that point, I'd always always worked in foundation offices within universities and had enjoyed it and had been relatively successful. But I actually thought moving to Australia, I could I could make the shift into schools. Um, into school fundraising and and community engagement and so moving to Australia gave me an opportunity to to take a different turn stay in the same sector but just move into a different different institution different environment Mm -hmm. Um, and so I moved into into I worked in a couple of boarding schools when we when we were over there so we were based in Melbourne for three years and then we moved to Canberra for two years and absolutely loved it and my my youngest was born when we were out there so yes as as a family we've got um got a lot of great memories Mm, i'm sure you have between melbourne and canberra which is your favorite city oh that's a really difficult one really difficult one i think for us arriving in melbourne and melbourne being the first place that we went to was brilliant Mm. it's it's different to the uk but it has a real um it felt familiar it it Okay. There was just something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, clearly, the weather's very different. Mm-hmm. The architecture's different. But whether it was the people, whether it was the links back to the UK that were, were quite obvious when we were with people. So certainly Melbourne for us was the was the right place for us to to have arrived at. Mm-hmm. Moving to to Canberra was was with my husband's work, and actually living in living in a man made. Um, capital mm. was very strange to having spent so much time in london and and european capitals which are, are which are which are very different mm. but canberra is a place to bring up children canberra is a place to live as the focal point of of the country um whatever you might think is as you know i'm clearly speaking as a brit in australia rather than an australian <laughs> um but the museums were amazing the culture was amazing the sporting opportunities and the the visiting teams that used to come through were, were amazing. The, the Australian Institute of Sport, which is where my husband was based, obviously okay. being there. So so the, the centres of excellence that being in a capital city bring. Mm-hmm. But but the exciting thing that we found about Canberra is that you can get across it very quickly. You can get to where you want to go. You're not stuck in traffic jams. And the hills and the mountains are, are very close by. So you sort of get the best of, of both worlds in It Canberra. does sound good the way you put it like that. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's very difficult to decide which is which is better. Traffic-wise, definitely Canberra. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe accessibility to the sea, probably Melbourne. Um, but actually, from a family point of view, if I had to put my hat on, on one place, it would be Canberra. Right, OK. Interesting. And now that you're in the UK, what's one of the things you miss about Australia? Do you know what? This is really interesting... My oldest son and I were talking about this the other day, not not in a nostalgic way, but just as a sort of comparison. And we decided that we missed the weather. Mm-hmm. You, could, you can obviously get four seasons in, in one day in, in Australia, where, wherever you happen to be. Um, so it's, it is more mixed than we as Brits sitting here looking, looking to Australia think. Okay. Um, you know, when you live somewhere, you, you live and breathe it, don't you? So you actually see it for, for what it actually is, yeah. rather than the what, what the guidebooks might say. But we miss the weather, we miss accessibility to the variety of of landscapes, I suppose, that Australia mm. offers. So so the sea, the mountains, the deserts, all within the boundaries. But, you know, clearly, I don't know how many times you can get Europe into into Australia. It's a huge landmass. So mm. Mm. Um, it, we always joke that flying from Canberra back to the UK, you could watch two movies before you've actually left 
left Australia. So, wow. I mean, it, it's to get your head around that is is, is pretty. It's a, it's a pretty huge place. But I would say, yeah, it has to be the weather. And then before we bring it to an end, what's one of the things that you appreciate in the UK that you couldn't have out in Australia? Well, taking family and friends aside, um, because that was the reason that brought us back. Mm-hmm. Australia is, is a wonderful place. I would recommend anybody to visit and to, and to live there if anyone's thinking about it. But for us, it was just too far. It was, it was one flight too many. You can't get there in one mm. um, to the places that we were living anyway. And it was just the time zone, trying to connect with family and friends back, back here. Mm. Um, because our life is, we made some wonderful friends in Australia, but our life is very much based, based here in the UK. So um, it was friends and family that brought us back and it's friends and family that will, that will make us stay here. So I think that's, that's, probably, that's probably it. Yeah, it seems to make sense. We need to bring this to a close in a minute, but for anyone who's heard anything and might want to get in touch, maybe get in touch with the foundation office, what's the best way for them to reach out? Email. Email probably is the easiest way these days. So my email address is vef at rbcs.org.uk. But by all means, ring the switchboard in and get put, put through to me. I've got, um, I'm in the office every day. If I'm, if I'm out and about on, in meetings, they can forward it to my, to my mobile. But I'm very happy to talk about any of the projects that we as a, as a foundation officer are doing. We've got um, an exciting fundraising campaign that we're looking to launch later this year, which will focus on, on bursaries and the Performing Arts Centre. So yes, lots of, lots of things in the pipeline. So email, email or telephone. I'm, I'm always willing to talk and very happy to talk to anybody. Well, that's great to know. Victoria, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on to this podcast and telling us all about life at the school through your eyes. Well, it's been been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. And that was Victoria Fangen Hall, Foundation Director at Reading Bluecoat. And I won't lie, if you'd asked me a few years ago what a Foundation Director actually does, then I don't think I would have known. So it's great to hear her explain all about it. If you want to get in touch with Victoria directly, her email address is vef at rbcs.org.uk and I'm sure she'd be delighted to help you. And also, don't forget that our next episode is coming out soon, so be sure to follow this channel and it just means that when the next episode is released, you'll receive a small notification just to let you know that it's there. So look after yourselves and in the meantime we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks for listening and bye for now.